Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, January 25th. Now we'll look at the high-stakes special election taking place to replace George Santos in Congress, in which voting is already underway. If you have a mail-in ballot, the in-person voting begins next Saturday, February 3rd. The district in Queens and Nassau County is very swingy, Democratic for a long time, Republican recently, Biden for president, Santos for Congress. We've been discussing the race in the local context since the candidates were chosen. Today, we'll look at it more in the national election year context of how it might be a bellwether for what crucial suburban swing district voters care about nationwide as the parties compete to not just win the presidency, but also control of Congress. The candidates are Democrat Tom Swasey, who held the seat before Santos, and a Republican relative newcomer, Mozzie Pillip, who is a member of the Nassau County Legislature. My guest for this is Abby Livingston, who writes about political campaigns in Congress for the politics and business site Puck News. Abby, thanks for coming on with us. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks so much for having me. You wrote that in national politics terms, the race to replace Santos is a gift from the gods, a dry run for both parties on abortion, immigration, and candidate quality in a pure toss-up district. So how much are they looking to see literally whether abortion rights, good for the Democrats, or immigration, good for the Republicans, moves people to the polls more? That is the absolute obsession of this race and what the Democratic and Republican operatives, all they want to talk about um, about this contest. And the reason is, is because, as you stated, this is such a toss up district. So I think um, the 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 thing to look at it is this is a very important seat in Congress just at a base level because Republicans have such a tight, tight majority and the new speaker, Mike Johnson, needs some breathing room. But I think beyond uh, the actual outcome of this race. This is like a a petri dish of testing messaging and television ad campaigning or advertising um, in in the get out the vote effort. And the the central question of this race is Republicans have had a big big problem with abortion since Roe versus Wade was overturned, and it, Democrats just keep outperforming uh, expectations in wherever they compete on this issue. But Republicans say, and we will find out if they're correct, that they think immigration could be what is the 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 magic key to to offset these uh the democratic advantages on abortion yeah and certainly the exit polls from new hampshire on tuesday seem to show that immigration at least in that republican primary in a relatively moderate state so maybe it's an indicator of something immigration was a big motivator. When they asked what people's number one issue was, 37% said the economy, that was number one, but then 30% said immigration. Next, much further down, was foreign policy at 15%, and only then came abortion with only 12% 
citing it as their top issue. So, so much less than the 30% that cited immigration. I'm curious how much you think the strategists in the New York race or nationally in congressional races find that important from New Hampshire or, or might change any tactics as a result of just that. I think it's hard to, to use that and just because abortion is just sort of funny, at least in a lot of the polling I've seen. It doesn't register very high, and that is why uh, it, it sort of overperforms in expectations. It's sort of in the back of the mind of a lot of voters, it seems, and they may not articulate it in a exit poll or a, a, a telephone poll. So I think it's, a, it's still something political strategists are trying to figure out. Um, but what is so interesting about abortion this cycle is I spent a long time covering Texas politics and we're about to go into primary season in Texas. And if you turn on the television in about two weeks, all you're going to see are anti-immigration ads in the Republican primary. And that is the number one issue House Republicans have in Senate too, um, have run on in their own primaries. But we haven't seen immigration surface in the general election. It's been over the years, uh, Donald Trump, it's been health care um, since Roe v. Wade overturned. It's been abortion. So this is probably the first cycle where we're really seeing this come into the foreground in the general election, election as we're seeing in this special general right now. Right. And in fact, immigration, as you know, has broken out as the main topic of the ad wars, commercial uh, wars between the two recently. I'll play one of each. Um, on this issue, it's the Republican Pillip on the attack and Swazi on defense. So here's a Pillip ad that makes its argument against Tom Swazi. Tom Swazi rolled out the red carpet for illegal immigrants. I kicked ICE out of Nassau County. Swazi helped create our immigration crisis. I kicked ICE out of Nassau County. And he'll make it worse. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. And that's a tagline that various versions of that ad uh, is using, and he'll make it worse. So here's a Swazi ad that he released in response. You've been hearing a lot of nonsense blaming Tom Swazi for the migrant problem. Really? As the left pushes to abolish ICE, here now is one of the few Democrats who voted to support this vital agency. ICE is an important government agency. They have an important job to do in this country, securing our border. I support strong border security. Tom Swazi will work with both parties to close illegal immigration routes, but open paths to citizenship for those who follow the rules. And anything else you might hear is garbage. I'm Tom Swazi, and I approve this message. So, Abby, we have a, a soundbite in the first ad from sometime in Swazi's past. I'm not sure exactly when, maybe when he was Nassau County executive, uh, probably not wanting ICE detaining undocumented immigrants who committed minor crimes locally. That was, I kicked ICE out of Nassau County. And then a Swazi soundbite that he emphasizes in his ad um, we see in the visuals on that ad that he was on Fox News as a guest saying that, separating himself from other Democrats. I guess we'll only know on election night who, who won that argument. But can you fact check that at all any more than I was able to find, like the context for the Swazi quote that Pillip uses of him saying he kicked ice out of Nassau County? Um, I, I actually offhand do not have the context. But what I can say as a 
semi-retired or retired TV producer, when it's that sharp of an edit, my ears perk up. Um, and it's it's that means it's being pulled out. I will also just flag um, that ad was a congressional leadership fund ad, which is the super PAC involved in this race on the Republican side. It's aligned with House Republican leadership. And that pack is the X factor right now in the advertising wars um, because they have not spent as much money as they are capable of spending. The House Democrats and their allies in the super PAC world have come in very big, very hard, very early in this race. Um, and so uh, I, I think it's going to be, I, I, I don't have a direct answer, but what I can also say is that the Democratic optimism in this race is so much about this conversation we're having, which is we've been talking about Swazi. He is a known quantity in this area. He used to serve in this congressional seat. And so I think there's a very strong sense in the Democratic world that Long Island is starting to slip away from the Democratic Party. It's becoming an increasingly difficult place to run campaigns when it not that long ago was completely Democratic represented outside of Peter King's district. Um, and so uh, so I just this is going to be very much about Swazi and Macy Pillip is a, a, an unknown figure. She's having to, you know, go zero to 60 very quickly in this race. And she's going to have to establish her name identification in a very expensive media market. So Swazi specifically is the source of Democratic confidence in this race. Right. And now that we played a Pillip ad attacking Swazi, we're going to play a Swazi ad attacking Pillip. And in the context of what you were just saying about her being a relative newcomer, here is part of how Swazi is trying to define her to the electorate. Mozzie Pillip won't answer questions about her agenda. Mozzie left before taking any questions. She was whisked away. Philip is part of the extreme wing of the Republican Party that wants to take away your rights and benefits. They'd ban abortion even in New York, even in cases of rape or incest, and make massive cuts to Social Security. Banning abortion, cutting Social Security with an agenda that extreme? It's no wonder Mozzie Philip is hiding. DCCC is responsible for the content of this advertising. So that ad mentioned a few things. Uh, one was abortion, also Social Security, and also Pillip not answering questions from reporters, which we'll actually get to. Uh, but on abortion, here is Mozzie Pillip in a local Fox 5 interview answering a question about her position on abortion rights. I am religious, okay? Therefore, I am pro-life. However, and I want to emphasize the however here, I'm not going to force my own beliefs in any woman. It's not going to happen. Therefore, I'm not going to support a national abortion ban. So, Abby, do you know the basis of the Swazi claim? There are many restrictive Republican bills short of an outright ban uh, that I can't find her taking a position on one way or another. But she did say in that clip that she wouldn't impose her personal views on on other women. So so what do we know about the factuality of Swazi's claim that she would restrict abortion rights? Well, that is the problem when a candidate doesn't answer questions. But what she is going through right now is what every single vulnerable House Republican candidate or incumbent is going to go through in the next uh, seven, eight, I guess, uh, 
nine months. Um, this issue, they are going to be asked this question every time they turn around. And so she, you know, she is dodging the question and that's what makes this so difficult. Um, but, you know, I, these quit quotes can be clipped down. They can be used in the same way we heard in the anti-Swazi ad. Um, you know, I, I worked many years ago for, uh, Tim Russert and his entire mentality of this sort of thing is when a candidate doesn't actually answer questions, they can't make the hard decisions. And mm. so I think this is part of the process of becoming a better candidate. Democrats are absolutely running wild with um, the, uh, the allegations that she can't handle these sorts of questions. And so this is going to be the ultimate test case. This is why this race is so interesting is how she is struggling here. I, I, I'm curious, generally, if you think that there are any undecided voters left in America right now, uh, I guess the question, the way some people frame it, is: Are there any swing are there any swing voters really, or are there really only swing districts where the bottom line is how effectively each party turns out their base? Do, do you have a take on that, either for this district or for the swing districts nationally this year? I think every year there are fewer and fewer. There are still some who exist, um, but I think it was trending this way already. But with the entrance of Donald Trump into the American political scene, obviously things are just a thousand times more polarized than before. Um, but yet when you started that question, that was what I was going to say, that this is increasingly a situation of um, getting out the vote. Um you know, the surprises in the elections that we've seen over the last few years when we expect them to go one way or the other at every level is almost always rooted in uh, a surprise turnout and vote on one side or the other or a surprise depression and vote. So we are moving farther and farther away from persuasion versus um, getting the, the loyal faithful out to the polls. Here is a pillow voter, I think, a voter, Peter and Great Neck. You're on WNYC. Peter, thank you for calling in. Thank you for taking my call, Brian. Um, I voted for the Democrat in 2022. Uh, this is somebody who I actually knew for many, many years. He was an upstanding person, uh, exactly the type of moral fiber that you wanted in uh, politics. So that was uh, Robert, Robert Zimmerman who lost to George Santos. Yeah. Right. And uh, both of those candidates at the time were rel were un un well, they were had never held elective office. And I think that was appealing to a lot of people that both of them hadn't held elective office. Now we have two people that are running, and one is a career politician, Tom Swazi, and the other is a fresh face. I think I'm an independent voter. I have switched for Republican, to vote Republican and Democrat. Personally, I think that if I had my way, I would vote for Biden for the presidency, and I would vote for the, can the Republican candidate so that Biden doesn't have a rubber stamp in Congress. And you, you want to know what independents sound like? That's, that's me. Does, for people who might be confused by that, and I appreciate you calling in and saying all of that, um, and think, well, if you want Biden for president, but you want a Congress who's not going to let any of his policies go through, <laughs> what, what are you really for? <laughs> um, I think that that a divided 
government tends to tackle only the big subjects. It hasn't worked out recently, but nonetheless, it's prevented from doing any huge government programs, which are quite honestly the type of bro- programs that Biden has pushed through with a Democrat Congress, which I'm not in favor of. But I also can't vote for Trump. So what am I for? I'm for a government that only tackles the big questions and uh, for compromises forced on both parties to to move forward if they're going to move forward on anything. Peter, thank you very much. Keep keep calling us. Um, Abby, what kind of media since we played those ads and, you know, I know Puck covers media a lot, uh, so much Interesting reporting on Puck about the decline of cable and linear television in general. So what kind of media do you think matters most right now? What's the distribution mix for what kind of emphasis in this home stretch if you've been following that? Yeah, this is um, so there's the media of doing, you know, local interviews. And this has been very local, uh, you know, with outreach from the campaigns. And then there's the advertising side. And New York is just on so many levels the most interesting place in American politics when it comes to control of the United States House this cycle. And New York has not always been in that place because uh, the lines have tended to be pretty clean and districts are pretty safe on each side. Um, But what New York does more than any other television market in America is just completely warp the ad spending. It is so expensive to run television advertising in New York. I think at points it can be a million dollars a week if you want to go all the way in. Um, You know, since uh, because broadcast is so expensive, campaigns more and more are moving toward cable, moving toward digital. Uh, New York is often a place where direct mail is an emphasis. Um, But even as broadcast television has declined, it is still the primo place to advertise, particularly during sporting events like the NFL. Um, And on top of that, we don't have new fresh campaign finance reports yet, but it's very apparent Tom Swazi has raised more money than Maisie Pillup because he's spending on television advertising. And, uh, there's a little quirk in the law that candidates can secure lower television rates than super PACs. And so the fact that Swazi was able to get into this race a little earlier than Pillip and raise money has been an enormous advantage for Democrats. Jonathan in Brooklyn, who grew up in the district, that's Northeast Queens and the North Shore of Nassau County and a few other places in Nassau. Jonathan, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi. So I live in Brooklyn, but I grew up in that district, and my mother still lives in that district. I definitely feel a connection to it. And um, what was, I was thinking when they, you know, chose Mozzie Phillips to run, and, you know, she's this, you know, virtual unknown outsider. But the fact that she, you know, she has an interesting biography. She was in, from Ethiopia, and she immigrated to Israel. She served in the IDF. And now with the Israel-Gaza war going on, and that district, as you know, is heavily Jewish. It has a lot of wealthy Jewish people and Iranian Jews there who are probably more inclined to vote for, you know, someone who is very pro-Israel, which not to say that Swazi isn't, but the fact that she is an Israeli who served in the IDF. And I just, you know, wondering if they, this was, the idea was to try to pander to those voters 
and mm-hmm. think that they could pick up a lot of votes just from the, the pro-Israel vote. Jonathan, um, thank you for that question. And yeah, Swazi is making a big point of saying there's no difference between them on policy toward Israel, but he certainly can't keep, compete with her biography, Abby, in that respect. Um, but by the sum, same token, we have a text message here that says, I suspect they're having Pillip not speak much so that the anti-immigrant Republicans don't hear her thick accent, her Ethiopian accent. So, so there's demographics from both sides, Abby. What do you think? This issue has exploded in Congress and particularly in the Democratic Party. And um, this is sort of the de facto first uh, down ballot primary race, even though it's a special. The, the other primaries don't get started until early March. And so this is one of the number one things I'm watching for when we see the results. We just don't know how this is going to play. With regard to Pillip's biography and background, she is exactly the kind of candidate that now ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would recruit to run. Um, he was sort of on his way out when she was coming through. But on top of, I mean, this biography is something very interesting and intriguing to Republicans who have historically struggled with diversity in their party. Um, and the caller recited it out for me. And all of those things are completely accurate. Um, so I, but what I also think is sort of in the background of this race that we haven't talked about is the local parties had a lot of control over these nominations. There really wasn't an open primary process. And I think more than anything that local and national Republicans cared about with regard to their nominee was uh, getting away from George Santos and all of that baggage. And so my understanding was they put an absolute premium on uh, resumes that did not have any sort of embellishments whatsoever, that having a candidate who didn't have that sort of problem was the ultimate emphasis of this process. Abby Livingston covers campaigns in Congress for Puck News. Abby, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.